Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Anyone feel like it gets a little out of hand after the end of the weekend? It's just happy Thanksgiving everywhere you go. But how many of you have had your turkey dinner already? How many are having it today? And how many are having it tomorrow? And how many are eating all three days? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I mean, turkey fresh is amazing, but I don't know, the leftovers, there's just something about leftover turkey on toast with gravy and cranberry sauce that is, mwah, as the Italians would say, delicioso, you know? So good. It's so good to be back with you. I was away last week visiting my family. I surprised my mom on her 80th birthday, and um, we were in this restaurant, and there was 40 people there. And she walked in, and everyone yelled surprise, but we kind of hid back in the, in the back closet of the restaurant. And then um, after things settled down, we came out, and we surprised my mom on her 80th, and I'm she almost fainted. She literally, like, buckled. She did, like, a, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It was like a, she's probably watching, too, so this is good. She'll love this. It was like a, a laugh, cry, wail, faint. It was an amazing um, experience, but... We, uh, we grabbed her, we held her, and we had a wonderful time with my family. So it is good to be back with you, and I'm excited. This is the most beautiful Thanksgiving weather we've ever had. I mean, come on, let's just give the Lord another, I'm telling you. I know we're kind of celebrating global warming, but I don't know, it just feels like for us, um, like for me, living on a farm, we really feel the seasons, right? And so when winter starts in September, we really feel it, like living on the farm. And so we, we love this weather. We had a Thanksgiving meal outside yesterday, and it was just so wonderful. Um, you know, here in Canada, Thanksgiving actually started before Thanksgiving started in the States. I don't know if you knew this, but back in 1578, Thanksgiving started in Canada, and they had um, like mushed peas, I believe, was the first meal. And um, they had some salted beef, which was preserved. And there was a quote, though, I found from General, um, Governor General Massey back in 1957. And I like this. He said, a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed, to be observed on the second Monday in October. And I love that because it's a, it's a statement that says we are thankful to God. You know, I'm thankful for so many things in my life, and this week I've really paid attention to all of the blessings that God has put in my life. I, I started to position my heart to be thankful position my heart in gratitude, because I believe that thanksgiving leads to generosity. I believe to be thankful, to be grateful for what we have, actually positions us to give, to give our time, to give our energy, to give our resources. But for me this week, I've just been so thankful and, and the more I'm thankful, thankful that I could visit my family, thankful that the sun is shining, thankful that we're eating outside on Thanksgiving. I kept finding myself in these moments this week of just sitting there being thankful. 
and thanksgiving leads to generosity. Thanksgiving Day is a day to remember God's blessing. Generosity is a way to respond to God's blessing. So while we take time this weekend to remember, we can't stop there. I believe that we must respond in generosity. Our first point this morning is that he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, I'm not a good singer, but I'm going to try. I heard a, a joyful cry from the front row. It must have been my wife. But if you know this song, I want you to sing it with me. And I don't know if I'm going to have the clapping right. I'm going to try. Live stream, this is going to break the internet. Okay, maybe you know this song. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got the wind and the rain. What? In his hands, he's got the wind and the rain. In his hands, he's got the wind and the rain. In his hands, he's got the whole world in it. Now stand. Come on, stand. He's got the, what does he have? Little tiny baby. In his hands, he's got the little tiny baby. In his hands, he's got the little tiny baby. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. You and me, sister. You and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. All right, that's enough. Thank you. I don't know if I had the words right. But it, there's something about not having the words right, but it just felt right. So thank you. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. And he's got your whole world in his hands. He's got my whole world. My worries, my needs, my desires, my dreams, my passion, my children, my wife, my ministry, my friendships, everything that I think about is in his hands. And this is where I want to start this morning, because it means I'm positioning my heart to be thankful And to know that he has my world. In Genesis chapter 14, 17 to 22, we have this story of Abram. Who is rescuing his uncle Lot from captivity. Lot has been taken captive by these kings that are attacking. There's war going on and Abram goes in to fight. And it says, after his return from the defeat of Kedalamar, I totally had to look this up. I thought it was Cheddar. I thought it was Cheddar Lamar, but it's not. It's Kedalamar. Funny. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Abram is saying that God is the one that has my whole world in his hands. He has the whole earth in his hands. Do you know why his name is Abram, not Abraham at this point? It's because he hadn't celebrated Thanksgiving yet and had his ham. I've been waiting all week for that. All week. Oh, it's so good. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's not true uh, for those that are beginning in your journey. Um, and all the vegetarians said, oh, gosh. Who is Melchizedek? What's that? Not just the vegetarians. Not just the vegetarians. <laughs> Thank you, Jen, for that. Nice jacket, by the way. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is a king of righteousness. But he is a priest as well. Melchizedek was the king and priest of Salem, which is shalom, which is peace. He is the king and priest of peace. Now, Melchizedek comes out to Abram and he meets him and it says that he brought bread and wine. I hadn't thought about this before, but this is like the first communion. Melchizedek shows up, and some think that Melchizedek wasn't an actual historical figure. And some do think he was an actual historical figure. But either way you look at it, Melchizedek is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. Because Melchizedek is both priest and he is king. And he brings bread and wine to this table with Abram. And this points forward to Jesus, because in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus would be in the same order as Melchizedek, because he would be priest and king. And it's important to realize this, because we as children of faith are descendants spiritually of the father of faith. And the father of faith is Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 verse 9 says this. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so we are blessed because we are children of faith. And we are actually in the spiritual genealogy of Abraham. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got our world in his hands. Elsewhere, Paul also tells us in Galatians that if you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so Galatians gives us this New Testament model of relating to God, saying that we are children of promise, children of Abraham, children of faith. Children of faith. Now, not only does... Not only does God have the whole world in his hands, not only is God the source of my blessing, not only does he pour out blessings I can't comprehend, but he also gives us the ability to produce. The ability to produce. Our second point this morning. Since the creation of the world, God has given humanity the ability to till the land, to garden, to expand the garden, God has given men and women the ability to produce. And I think what's gotten out of hand is that I think the ability to produce is my own gifting. You know, I start to own this myself as if I've produced. And I love drawing us back to the word here where God tells Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He tells him this. You will enter a land in which you will eat without scarcity. How many want to live in a land which you eat without scarcity? A land in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron. And out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. I love what the Lord says. The Lord says, I have a promised land for you to enter. I have a place for you where there will be food without scarcity. I will provide a land for you where you will lack nothing, Moses. Everything is there. It is a promised land. There is generosity and blessing more than your mind can ever imagine, Moses. There's copper in this land. And the copper, oh, the copper, you're going to have to dig to get it. There's copper in the hills, Moses, but you're going to have to dig to get it. I think so many times in our life that the Lord is pouring out blessing in our life. The Lord has good things planned for us. But how many know that he requires to do some digging? Us to do some digging. Do you believe that? You believe that living in the kingdom, stewarding the kingdom, expanding the kingdom requires a little bit of work. And I believe sitting right here, there are things that we're looking for, longing for, wishing for, hoping for, desiring. It could be breakthrough, personal breakthrough. It could be restoration in your marriage. Maybe you're you're asking God for healing in your body or healing in your mind or your emotions. And you're crying out to God and he's saying, listen, Joel, I have good land for you. I have healthy relationships for you. I have healing for you. But Joel, you're going to have to work a little. See, God not only provides blessing, he provides the ability to produce. I remember I was in construction management, and when I graduated from university at Trinity Western, there was no opportunities in ministry. And I remember speaking to different pastors, and they said, we'd love to have you, but there's no openings, so you're going to have to do something else. 
And so I went down to a construction site and I started um, sweeping floors. I was a, a day laborer. Maybe, maybe you've done this or maybe you're doing this currently. And it's kind of a daily job. You don't know where you're going to be day to day or week to week or month to month or project to project. And that's how I started. I just was sweeping floors. And then I whispered to the foreman at the time. I said, you know, I could use a hammer too. And so he said, oh, okay, you know a little bit of carpentry. I said, yeah, a little bit. And he said, okay, come back tomorrow and make sure that you have all the stuff that you need for carpentry. So I was excited. I was getting moved up. I was getting promoted. So I went down to Home Depot and I got myself a little carpentry pouch, you know, one of those single pouches and a hammer and a tape measure and a framing square and a nice new Home Depot pencil. And I put it, I sharpened it first too. And I showed up to the construction site, and I'm walking across the site, all proud that I was just promoted from broom to hammer. And I remember a guy said, hey, Bob the Builder, nice pouch. I didn't take that kindly. He called me Bob the Builder. For those that don't know, that's a children's show of a, a little cartoon carpenter who says, if Bob, if you can do it, what, Bob will help or something like that? I butchered that. What is it? If Bob can't fix it, no one can. Yeah. No. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Thank you. We needed that, Claire. I, I, something like that. I knew it. So, can Bob fix it? Yes, he can. Can God provide it? Yes, he can. Okay, now we're back on track. So, I had this little pouch. They called me Bob the Builder. I cried at lunchtime in the porta potty. And then you know what I did that night? I went and bought the biggest pouch you could find. <laughs> a framer's, too big framer's pouch. It had like nothing in it, but I showed up the next day and I was armed for battle. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Anyway, soon after that, I remember I was promoted to project coordinator and then project manager and then construction manager. And in four years, I remember the Lord took me from the broom to managing $42 million in hard cost construction. I never went to business school. I never took accounting. I never studied blueprints, drawings. I never studied construction management. And you're like, oh man, which projects did you build? <laughs> I, know what, I know we're all thinking it. But my point is this, during that, I really thought I was pretty good at faking it till I made it. People used to say to me, how did you get, how did you, how were you so successful so quick? And I would say, fake it till you make it. But looking back on it, I'd be really naive to think that I produced anything because it's so miraculous how God said, Joel, there is this position for you, but you're going to have to work. Every evening, I'd be in the office reading drawings, figuring stuff out, Googling, calling engineers, asking them what things meant. And pretty soon, just through working a bit, God had that land for me. God had that position for me, but I had to work at it. So there are copper in the hills, Moses, but you need to dig for it. You need to dig for it. Our third point this morning is that generosity is a first fruit offering. 
A first fruit offering is God would ask the people in the Old Testament, he would ask them for the first of their harvest. He would ask them for the first of their animals. And this became known as the first fruits offering. And the way I look at this today is that I have first fruit as well in my life. That when I get up, I pray. And prayer for me personally is my first fruit offering. Not out of religious duty, but out of relational connection. Not because I have to, but because I desire to. And so when I wake, I connect with God. And I give him the first part of my day. Actually, I should be honest. The first part of my day is actually running a cup of coffee. Sorry, Lord. But after that, I have a cup of coffee with Jesus. Like he wants my best. So I got to drink that coffee. No. And so I give him this this first in my day. The first thing I do in prayer often is I thank him. Thank you, God. So I give him the first of my prayer. Right now, we're giving the Lord the first of our week. This is not the end of our week. Let's check our calendars. Sunday's the first day. We give him the first part. So the first part of our service is that we come to him and we sing in worship. We pray, we sing in worship. And throughout our lives, we're giving him these first fruit offerings. I give the Lord the first of my paycheck. It comes in, I give it to the Lord. I don't do it because I have to. I don't do it because it's legalistic. I don't do it because it's religious. I do it because I want to. I desire to worship him in the first fruit of my life, in every part of my life. And the most amazing thing about this first fruit offering is God never asks us to do something he hasn't done himself. Do you know that God gave you the first of his? Do you know that he gave you the firstborn? That he said, I'm going to send my son to people who will mostly reject me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in the firstborn will be saved. And so when I come to this generosity of my heart. When I come to this thanksgiving that leads to generosity, I'm not giving and losing. I'm giving out of relational connection with him, the one who has given me so much. Not just blessings, but ability to produce. This also means that we can't sit on a couch waiting for some door to open or a lottery check to show up or so many times I, I'm sitting there and I'm going, God, I need, I, I, I need this in my life and I'm sitting there and, and God's like, do something about it, Joel. Like, get off the couch. Look for the opportunities today that I've provided for you. Now, some might say that, Joel, this generosity, this is all like, this is all under the law, but this is the New Testament now. Well, I'll tell you this, the 
situation I shared about Abram with Melchizedek was actually 430 years before the law. And we come to another passage where God is talking to Jacob, and this is 400 years before the law. Genesis chapter 28, verse 18 to 22. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on it. I wouldn't suggest doing this to your pillow. It'll be very oily for a very long time. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. He renamed it. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my guide. And this stone, Bethel, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth. Again, 400 years before the law, Jacob, out of his own heart, God didn't tell him he had to do this. This is the thing about generosity. Generosity is cheerfully giving. Cheerfully giving our time. Cheerfully giving our energy. Cheerfully giving our efforts. And yes, blessing others financially that need it. A faith-filled response with our finances makes room for God to do even more. I was thinking about this picture in, in my garden that sometimes people come to visit. When I say my garden, I use that term my loosely. It's Sonia's garden. So when people come to our house and they come through the greenhouse and I am giving them Peppers, how many like the hot peppers? I didn't, a few people got hot peppers, everybody wanted them. We'll have to get another run going of those. But when I take the peppers off and I, I put them in a bag, it's amazing how this happens, but the plant produces more. Or people come to the garden and we we dig out a plant and we give it to them generously. When we dig out that plant to give it to them generously, God expands the garden. You see, when I give away my time, my energy, my efforts, my gifts, whatever it might be, when when I give something away that I have, I make room, I make space for God to do something. Thanksgiving leads to generosity. I want to close with this. He will bless and multiply what we put in his hands. Scarcity and generosity. There's two ways that we can learn. And I call this point, what is left? Scarcity is always concerned with what we will have left. And so often in my life, I might, you know, I might pay my bills. I I put money into retirement. I put money into the children's education fund. 
I, I make sure that I play golf. I, I go out and get my Starbucks every day. I, I have lunches throughout the week. I have all of these things. And then I, I see what's left, right? And then with what is left, I, I am generous with what is left. But then I look at the prices of gas and I look at inflation and I look at the market and I go, you know, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. I don't, I don't have any. This is scarcity. Scarcity. And then what I found in my own life is that, that generosity is a little bit different. Generosity is actually faith. Because what I do with generosity in my first fruits, my time, my effort, right? Is I, I give that to God first. Because I give it to God first. He now blesses and is responsible for the rest. You see the difference? One is scarcity. It's I, I will, I'll possibly give based on what I have left of my time, my energy, my finances, and so on. And one is I, I give first, and God faithfully provides. And so we have this story in the New Testament where there's a boy who comes to Jesus with a lunch. And there's about, well, we'd say probably... 10, 12,000 people. It's recorded as 5,000, but that doesn't include children or women. And so it's probably between 8 and 12,000 people that are here. And Jesus has been teaching all day, all day, all day, all day, like I'm going to do today, all day, right through your Thanksgiving lunch. I'm going to keep preaching and preaching, and you're going to be thinking about turkey, and eventually you're going to want to be fed, right? Because we want to eat on Thanksgiving. Well, the people are here after hours and hours of Jesus teaching. And Jesus is looking for food. So he asked the disciples to go and look for food. And they find a little boy. And they take the little boy's lunch. And it says that Jesus took, right, five loaves, two fish. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, thanksgiving, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, the prophet who has come into the world. I don't know what the boy's situation was at the time, but one thing I know is it doesn't say that the boy gave Jesus half of his lunch. It says that the boy gave them what he had. And Jesus took what he had, and when he broke it, when he was thankful and he broke it, it was multiplied. And I believe that in the breaking of what we have, in the breaking of our life, in the breaking of our time, in the breaking of our gifts, our talents, the anointing God has put on our life, in the breaking, it is multiplied. And that God will use all of you in ministry to reach the world. 
Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. He wasn't saying pastors who have titles, who went through seminary, go into the world and preach the gospel. He said, come to me and put your lunch, put your life in my hands. And as you put your lunch and your life in my hands, I will break it. And as I break you, it'll be multiplied. Am I willing to be broken? certain areas it's like God you can have everything on the table God you can have everything on the table you can even have my jacket I like this jacket you can have it you can have everything my, my Apple watch God you can have it but I'll keep this you can pick whatever you want God whatever you want whatever you want God whatever any of it anything God anything but I'll keep this I'm good. Why do I share this with you? I don't share it because God needs, needs our money. He can make more money with trees, sorry, recycled paper, than we know what to do with. I share it because he blesses, he blesses what is put in his hands. You need multiplication? It cannot be multiplied in your hands. In my hands, I live with scarcity because I look at what's in my hands and I plan my life based on what is in my hands. And if these 10 fingers represented what I see in my hands and I start checking them off, by the time I get to the end, guess what we'll have left? Nothing. But I take my whole lunch, my whole life, all of my passion, all of my desires, all of my gifting, everything I have, I take it, I put it into Jesus' hands and I go, I, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. And he begins to break it. They say it's impossible that Jesus would have done this miracle alone. It's impossible for Jesus to have fed 10,000 people by literally breaking the loaves himself and multiplying the fish himself. The only way for this miracle to actually have worked scientifically is that the disciples themselves were breaking it and it was multiplying. The people next to them were breaking it and it was multiplying. This is not a picture for Finance is simply, it's for our whole life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, is anyone here running after Jesus? A couple of us, right? Like we're trying to follow Jesus, right? I'm trying to follow Jesus. He says this, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his, her cross and follow me. For whoever would save his or her life will lose it. But whoever loses it will find it. That's how Jesus works. In other words, 
what we try to keep in control will be lost. What we put into his hands will be found. In other words, I'm going to fly the plane of my life into a mountain except by the grace of God. But when I put my life into his hands, what appears to be loss is gain. I would never want you ever, 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 ever to feel compelled, coerced to give. I want you to be blessed. And I want you to consider the areas of your life where generosity has not occupied. It it might be your time. It might be, do I want to commit to a life group? Do I want to commit to discipleship night? Maybe you're a youth or young adult. Do I want to commit to community? That could be your way of, of wrestling with generosity. You're gifting. Do I want to serve? I don't want to serve. I, I just, I'm nothing. I, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah, that's scarcity, though. Put your, put your life into God's hands and say, use me. Use me, Lord. And for some of us, that is our, our finances. So would you commit to praying? Praying this week. I will pray for you now, and then as the worship team comes out, we'll, we'll sing together. Father, I thank you that you are our source. You have the whole world in your hands. I don't want to say that outside of myself, Lord. I want to say you have my whole world in your hands. That you can take my life and as you bless it, There will be brokenness, but there will be multiplication. And I pray even now, Lord, that as you begin to highlight in our hearts and minds the areas that we haven't put into your hands, Lord. We haven't given you full authority to rule and to reign. Any areas of our life, Lord, that we're keeping off the table, I pray that you would show those to us. And you would lead us in a better way of trusting you by faith. We put it into your hands right now.